Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. This week, we reached the peak of hurricane season, but don't think it's downhill from here. Why? You also have this continued pattern or cycle of, of above normal activity in the Atlantic and that's really right. been going on since 1995. Also, the, the likely emergence of La Nina later this hurricane season, which tends to lead to more hurricane activity in the Atlantic Ocean. And even though South Florida has been spared the fury felt from Louisiana through the Northeast, all it takes is the right recipe for a hurricane threat. So yes, we have been lucky so far here in South Florida, but it just takes the wrong combination of ingredients. Plus, we talk with an insurance expert to help guide us through what we should do in case a storm heads our way. That's all next on Weather or Not. But we begin with the peak of hurricane season. And just like we did at the beginning, we connect with our good friend Robert Moyeta, Warning Coordination Meteorologist from the National Weather Service office in Miami. Now moving into the second stretch here of the hurricane season. And uh, what can you tell us so far about the first half? Well, it, I think uh, as expected, it's been busier or more active than normal. Uh, I think we're up to 12 storms now, uh, you know, through, through the end of August, beginning of September. Uh, so we're definitely running ahead of what the normal is for, for a given hurricane season. And um, if we look at it another way, I know, you know, we, there, there's an index that we call the, uh, the ACE index, which is, stands for accumulated cyclone energy. And basically what that is, is that's a, uh, it not only counts the number of storms, but also takes into, into consideration how long those storms are active and how strong they are. So it, so it calculates intensity and, and length of time at certain intensities, and it, it comes up with these numbers. So if we, if we look at that as a measure of activity, we're running about 40% above normal through the beginning, you know, right up to the beginning of September. So yeah, by all indications, uh, it's been a, definitely been a, a, a more active than normal season, which is what was forecast uh, back in May and was uh, reinforced with our updated outlook at the beginning of August. And you know, there's nothing that suggests that that pattern is not going to continue, at least generally, for the remainder of the hurricane season. You know, I've been getting a lot of uh, questions regarding uh, why have we been so lucky lately? Why are all these systems missing South Florida? Is it just sheer luck or is there something else at play? I mean, it, it all depends on where the weather systems that steer or influence the track of the storms, mm -hmm. where those features are located, you know, when the storms are out there. And yeah, a lot of it is just timing. A lot of it is, you could call it luck, is, you, know, you know, with regards to exactly where these systems are. So, you know, you could have a prevailing pattern, let's say, you know, I know for, for a good part of the summer, we've had this persistent high pressure area, or, you know, we can call it the Bermuda High, which has actually right. been uh, close to the south, close to the U.S. coast. And in those type of patterns, generally, the wind flow is out of the east. So if we have, let's say we have a storm out there that's to our east, generally speaking, 
this general pattern would generally steer storms that are east of Florida in the general direction of Florida. Um, but those pattern that just because that's might be the prevailing pattern doesn't mean that that's going to stay. That's going to be the case every single day of the year. And really, it all depends on where these storms are. I mean, let's let's take for an example, uh, you know, our most recent threat uh, that was um, uh, Fred. <laughs> I can't remember which one they, they are. <laughs> no, the, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, Fred. Fred passed over. Um, uh, it was in a position where you know it could have certainly impacted uh, South Florida based on its location in the Northeast Caribbean Sea and in the right. general pattern that we had in the atmosphere. However, uh, it passed over a lot of land areas. It passed over Hispaniola, it passed over Cuba, and that disrupted the circulation. And it also made the, the storm, uh, well, didn't, it, of course it made it less strong, made it weaker, you could say, and it also made it shallower. So it was driven more by the flow of air near the surface and that was part of the reason why it stayed well to our south. Um, so a lot of it is, yeah, a lot of it is, I mean, you could say luck. I mean, I hate, hate to use that word, right, you know, right. in a scientific context, but let's face it. Uh, some, you know, it all depends on where these systems are, the timing of these systems relative to other weather systems, which, you know, which are, you know, big influencing factors, as well as their proximity to land. So, yes, we have been lucky so far here in South Florida, um, but you know, it, it just takes the wrong combination of ingredients, you, you know, and correct. it's something that we've certainly seen in the past. All right. So now September 10th is the peak of hurricane season. Uh, right. the national hurricane center about a month ago, uh, updated their seasonal outlook and they're suggesting, uh, 15 to 21 named systems now out of which seven to 10 could become hurricanes three to five could be major. So it's a small uptick here. Um, why is that? Why are they upping the numbers? Well, part of it was the the fact that we already we had already had a few storms right. before that time. So they're including the storms that were already that had already occurred, you know, before August. Um, so that's so that's part of it. And and then really primarily it's it's the, it's a continuation of those same features. Um, that was that were indicated in May as being factors leading to an above normal season. So we're you know we're talking about the uh, generally speaking warmer than normal waters, although that really hasn't been the case everywhere in the Atlantic. Uh, but you also have this uh, continued um, pattern or cycle of of above normal activity in the Atlantic that's really been right. going on since 1995. Also the the likely emergence of La Nina later this hurricane season, which tends to be more con, tends to lead to more hurricane activity in the Atlantic Ocean, and also uh, more vigorous or more active tropical waves moving off the coast of Africa, and we've seen that uh, so far this season. So all these things are you know have have materialized, and we expect that, we'll, that they will continue, uh, especially as we get towards the peak of the hurricane season and towards the end of the hurricane season. For South Florida, the peak of hurricane season extends much longer. The time that we really have to be especially aware and really prepared are basically these two months, September and October. We will cover that when weather or not returns. A record storm season during a pandemic made 2020 unforgettable. This year, count on the seven weather team once again to do what we do best, keep you safe.
the latest alerts, the best coverage. That's why we're the Storm Station, 7 News. Welcome back. We've been chatting with Robert Moyeta of the Miami National Weather Service. The peak of hurricane season is here, but for South Florida, it extends into October. And when is the peak of hurricane season for South Florida? Well, yeah, that's kind of a tricky question, or it's a hard question to answer because now I mean, there's different ways to look at it. So I, I throw you the if, soft ones, Robert. I yeah. throw you the soft <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Good, good. I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you do that. It warmed me up a little bit. But uh, yeah, the, the peak of the season as far as for the entire Atlantic Basin is considered to be September 10th. Now, that's the day that climatologically, in other words, going back you know, through all the through all the years that we have records, that's the day that historically there's on average the most number of storms going on. So that's why September 10th is the peak. It doesn't mean that everything that, that after September 10, everything goes downhill and then you know we 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 quietly go you know toward you know to the end of the season. No, it, it, what it means is that uh, really for for South Florida, the the month of September and the month of October, those two months are the months in which we've been hit the most by hurricanes here in South Florida. And actually it's the month of October, which is slightly ahead of September. And a lot of people right. you know, think that, well, it, it's September is you know, the month that, we, that we've been hit the most by hurricanes. Actually, actually by, you know, by not a large margin, but it's still there is, it's actually it's October. Right. So that means really when it comes to South Florida, the time that we really have to be especially aware and really prepared are basically these two months, September and October. Now, as, uh, as we progress here through hurricane season, we know that after Cape Verde season ends, uh, the, uh, uh, the hurricane genesis, if you will, tropical activity kind of reverts back to the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico. So even towards the end of hurricane season, South Florida should be still on its toes, correct? Absolutely, and that's you know that goes to what I into the previous question. October, the, the biggest reason October is the month in which we've been hit the most by hurricanes is that uh, the typical starting point or genesis of tropical activity is closer to us in in the month of October. For example, the Southwest Caribbean Sea, sometimes the area just east of the Bahamas, or you know, in other words, that, that instead of the storms forming way, way out in the Eastern Atlantic, you know, and then they take a long time to, to, to get to our part of the world. Uh, storms in October, a lot of them tend to be uh, form at least much closer to us. So they, they form and they may not take much time before, uh, before arriving or affecting South Florida. So yeah, certainly the area of where they typically form during a hurricane season has a, you know, plays a big role in whether, you know, in at least the you know what we typically see during the season regarding you know what what time frames of the year were more were more prone to being hit. Uh, Robert, what has been the biggest challenge for you this year as far as doing the hurricane local statements when a system approaches South Florida? Has there been something really key, something that has been really challenging for you? I mean, I think what when it comes to the actual information that we're putting out, uh, really, it, it's so dependent on the situation. Um, you know, not every storm, is, it, it, not every storm presents the same level of threat, not every storm presents the same level of certainty. Um, so we have to adjust to that, you know, for example, with Fred, 
as well as as well as with Elsa. In fact, in in July, these were storms that were uh, you know that had a higher than normal amount of uncertainty associated with them because of the possible interaction with land, you know, the, the, with the islands to our south and to our east. And so that presents, you know, a, a bigger than normal challenge when it comes to communicating, you know, the, the information. Right. There's, there's always uncertainty with every hurricane forecast, with every weather forecast. But in those situations, those were especially, especially challenging. So, you know, we, there was a case where, you know, we had to, uh, a lot of the information that we're putting out in hurricane local statements and in other social media, for example, we had to uh, indicate that there was a higher than normal amount of uncertainty, you know, we know that people want answers. People want us to provide them details and we do the best we can with that. Right. But also understanding the level of uncertainty is not going to be the same for every situation, for every storm. And so we have to adjust to that and communicate that information appropriately. So that's a big challenge. Definitely. Now, when we see the images coming out of Ida um, and, and we see all the um, destruction that has taken place there, um, what would you tell people if you see something like that coming in our direction, a Category 4, aiming for Miami-Dade or Broward counties? It has been a long time since we have seen such a thing. Uh, what would you do? What would you tell them to, to make sure that they heed the advice of local officials? Well, I think it's, it's relaying the level of threat. I think that's one of the, that's one of the main things that we have that we can convey. We know that, you know, for, for example, a Category 4, uh, the level of potential damage is, is, well, the level of damage is potentially devastating in the areas that are directly affected by, let's say, a Category 4, which is really any major hurricane. Um, so, you know, we, we use um, uh, information such as the hurricane local statement that you mentioned. We also have the hurricane threat and impact maps that we provide that are color-coded and scaled to indicate the level of threat and potential impact from the different hazards associated with the storm, whether it's the wind or the water or tornadoes. So conveying that level of threat, given the current situation and its forecast, that's really uh, our, one of our main tools for making sure that people understand exactly what kind of threat we're facing from a situation. And then also, of course, you, know, you all, you do a great job of conveying that information to your viewers. And also, you know, the emergency managers, the local officials have to have that information. And so, so that we're all conveying this information consistently, you know, without exaggeration, taking into account, you know, what's actually going on, what the forecast is, and, you know, taking into account also that there's, like I said before, there's uncertainty inherent in every hurricane forecast. So, you know, we have to make sure that we're not, uh, you know, that we're not crying wolf per se, but, you know, just using the using the best available information that the science allows us to based on that based on that latest forecast to give to, to try to represent as much as possible what those potential impacts are. So people can take appropriate actions based on what we're saying. Well, you guys do an excellent job. One voice, one message. That's always been great. Robert, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for helping us out. And hopefully we'll stay lucky for the rest of the season. My pleasure, Phil. Thank you very much. And I guess, yeah, I agree. Let's hope that we stay uh, safe this hurricane season, but let's also be ready. You got it. Thank you very much, Robert. Thank you. Coming up next, a review of what every Floridian needs to do before a storm comes ashore. The best app from the best weather team is right here. 
Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the storm station, Seven News. Welcome back. We can all meet a hurricane head on, but we need to be prepared. We speak with Angel Conlin, Chief Insurance Officer for Kin Insurance, based out of St. Petersburg, Florida. Seven questions. Well, we do, uh, within our podcast, we do a segment called Seven Questions, and you're going to take part in our Seven Questions portion. Uh, let's begin with Angel. One. What are the basics that we all need to prepare for an arriving storm? Sure. So, you know, there's different um, cadence of preparation. So there's the seasonal prep when, you know, it's, it's hurricane season is upcoming and, you know, you have time to do those sort of, um, you know, more extensive self-inspection of your home or even have an inspector come out and, you know, make some quick repairs or do things to secure certain components of the home because you have time. So, you know, there's some really fantastic resources, uh, both through hurricanestrong.org as well as ibhs.org, which IBHS is um, sort of the, how we have IIA for the highway safety that does testing of cars. IBHS does a ton of testing around homes and the components of homes, how they can stand up to hurricanes, wildfires, all kinds of disasters. And that helps us to know, you know, exactly what type of measures will really help lower the homeowner's risk in the event of a storm. So, you know, they've got lots of preparation materials on their websites, and it's going to include things like you know, doing an inspection before hurricane season starts, you know, even just walking around your home, checking things out. They've got checklists to look for things like, are your soffits secure? If not, then you can go ahead and install stainless steel screws to make sure that the soffit's going to stay secure to prevent that wind from getting up underneath your roof edge and trying to lift the roof if you have high winds. Uh, you can do things like inspect the roof to make sure you don't have any leaks. Do you have any curling shingles that might, you know, really be prone to wind lift that would then create an opening for water to penetrate into your home. Do things like trim your trees because, you know, tree branches, you know, once the wind hits them can become basically, you know, a projectile that's going to damage the home, could break windows, could create an opening that then allows wind in. The whole key is making sure you're not allowing wind to enter the home because then that starts to create those uplift forces. So another component that can allow that entry is going to be garage doors. You know, if you can choose a wind rated garage door, that's going to be really key to making sure that it keeps that wind and those forces outside of the, the interior of the home. And if you don't have the, the wind rated garage door, you can also install other um, devices you can put over the outside of the home, you know, when a storm is impending that you know, are basically wind breaks, uh, the equivalent of a, a wind screen that you can put over the outside of the garage door that's a temporary measure at the time of an event. Uh, things like you know, having hurricane shutters, you know, of course, immediately before storm season, you know, the folks that install hurricane shutters are incredibly busy. So if you don't already have hurricane rated windows, you know, making sure that you're thinking ahead in advance to have those hurricane shutters installed if you can, so that even though you don't have 
hurricane rated windows, you do have that wind break in the form of a hurricane shutter is really key and planning ahead so that you don't end up, you know, with the inability to get those installed before hurricane season is huge as well. Um, another thing would be if, you know, if you're thinking well in advance, you could get a whole home generator to make sure that if you do lose power, you're going to have the ability to still have a generator to you know, feed the home. Two. I have a, a question now um, regarding folks, for example, who live in multi-story apartment buildings that uh, sometimes they, they are, or their associations may not let them put up shutters. Uh, what what can they do? And then on the other side of the coin, how about folks who live in uh, in mobile homes? What can they do to secure their properties? Yes. So, you know, for your apartment or condo dwellers where, you know, if the association is not going to allow them to have hurricane shutters, you know, that's, that's a really tough problem to tackle. And, and I certainly feel their pain on that one. But in the urgent situation of, you know, they now know a storm is bearing down and they don't have hurricane shutters, you know, some of the things that they can do, uh, close all of the interior doors so that if wind should penetrate, you know, one of the windows or windows in a room, then it doesn't have a pathway to go ahead and project through the entire dwelling. You know, that's something they can do. Uh, I would make sure, you know, they're really paying attention to evacuation alerts uh, and, and really thinking through, do they feel safe trying to ride out a storm in a dwelling that doesn't have any sort of, um, you know, hurricane resistant windows or hurricane shutters? Uh, what can they do if they're going to evacuate? What can they do to make sure they've secured the home? Advise them and every single person in the state to make sure that they have a reliable source of weather information and alerts. FEMA actually has a fantastic free app that you can download to your phone, you can put where you live or any geography that you want to track. You know, I have a son in college now, so I track my local area as well as where he is for college. And FEMA sends me an alert to any type of weather activity in any geography that I tell them I'd like to learn about. It's a really phenomenal app. And you know, I would encourage everybody, again, it's free. There's no reason not to use that resource, including I'm sure you probably have something similar, Phil, that mm -hmm. allows people to help track weather in their local area. So, you know, everyone should be super proactive in doing things like that. Um, as something as else that I tell all our, our, our audience members is anytime that there's a, a threat of any sort, especially mobile homes, that they should not stay in mobile homes just because most of them are just not fully anchored and any gust of wind will really cause some some problems. So there's an issue there as well. Three. One of the things that, uh, that uh, we have become kind of complacent in here is we haven't had the need to evacuate any of the coastal zones in uh, quite a few years. What do you recommend folks do as they prepare, for example, for an evacuation order of their neighborhood? Yeah, I would think, you know, they're going to want to make sure that, you know, they, they have done things like, um, again, close all the windows and the doors, if they're going to evacuate the home, you know, think through, does it make sense to turn off water to the home? Is there anything they need to do from a power perspective? Uh, but then on top of that, you know, for their family safety, make sure that they have 
a strong evacuation plan for themselves in place even before hurricane season begins. But even if it's at the last moment, again, we have so many great resources online out there now for folks that you know you can even find checklists of you know what they need to have in their evacuation plan, what supplies to make sure that they have on hand and take with them. Uh, then on top of that, you know, apply those checklists. You know, make sure that, that will help you make sure in the heat of the moment that you've really thought through everything you need to keep your family safe. Make sure you're paying attention to those weather alerts and your local government alerts. Then uh, make sure that you know your most important contacts know what your plan is and where you're going to be. Uh, do things like create a home inventory. And, and certainly in the heat of the moment, that doesn't, that's not going to be something where you need to sit and create a spreadsheet on your computer. Even if it's quick video walkthrough of the home, that at least gives you some capture of, you know, what's there at that moment in time, that will help refresh your recollection that you know, heaven forbid you do have a loss and you're trying to sit and remember, you know, oh my goodness, what did I even have in the house? Uh, you know, just do a quick video walkthrough before you leave the home. Um, if you've got shutters, put them up for sure. If you don't have shutters and you don't have impact windows, then, you know, if there's the opportunity to go ahead and board up and it's called for, you can do that. Make sure you've sealed gaps and cracks. Again, you know, the whole goal is keep that wind out of your home. Um, check your gutters. Anything that's in the yard, you need to view it not as a lawn chair or a pool toy or any you know, barbecue grill. Nope, those things are now projectiles. They are the enemy. So get those indoors. Don't let your barbecue grill come through your window and create that opening into your home. You know, look at those projectiles and get them, you know, stored away in the garage or wherever you can. Cool. And, and as we head out to... Um to uh, shelters, for example, and we, we all take our supplies. Our next concern is obviously COVID. Are there any suggestions on how to deal with a congested shelter, for example, and the fear of COVID? You know, there, there's no perfect plan for how to deal with a convergence of just terrible things like that. But, you know, in advance, make sure you've got your masks that, you know, you, you've assessed uh, you know, what your, your health risk is. Um, if you're going to have to be crammed in a shelter with lots of folks, I would fully anticipate the masks will be mandatory in that type of environment. So, um, you know, have those ready. Uh, I would assume shelters are going to have them, but you don't want to count on that. And if it's a, a key to admission to a safe space, when you're in the middle of an evacuation, you want to make sure that, you know, you're ready and can get in there and be safe. You know, it's, it, you just have to balance overall safety. And if an evacuation is called for, you got to do it. And you just have to follow the protocols in place at the shelter to make sure doing everything you can to try to avoid the COVID um, danger on top of the hurricane danger. Five. So uh, speaking, for example, as an insurance company, how do you, your company, prepare, for example, uh, for the beginning of hurricane season, how do you allocate resources? How do you uh, know, for example, which region or which zone of the country may actually uh, be, uh, be impacted the most? How do you as an organization deal with that? Well, I mean, as you've seen and, and you well know, 
that there's no guarantee of what region or zone may be impacted. So in advance of hurricane season, we are running through all the various potential scenarios. Uh, we use catastrophe modeling to actually, so we, we know where every single customer we have is located and we will run scenarios through a catastrophe model that project, okay, if a storm followed this path and had this wind intensity or this amount of flooding, you know, which of our customers would be impacted and what degree would each of them be impacted to? And then we will map out what amount, what number of adjusters and what resources we need to make sure we can give those customers the service that they need. So we've run a multitude of scenarios. Uh, we have a, a catastrophe response plan that can be tailored by type of catastrophe, location, um, spread, all of those pieces. Six. How do you um, kind of tell folks how to prepare for flooding? Flooding is one of the biggest issues now with sea level rise, with all these storms getting stronger and setting rain records. What is the suggestion to get ready for a flooding event? Yeah, first and foremost, everybody needs flood coverage. You know, we've had so many terrible disasters in areas of the country where people wouldn't even expect flooding that, you know, it, it's it, it's amazing to me that, um, you know, how hard it is to get folks to realize that, okay, even if your mortgage company isn't requiring it because you're not in an identified flood zone, you know, the real key is everyone should have flood insurance. You know, disconcerting how often when we try to counsel customers that they should have it, it's it's not for the money. It's usually not a terribly expensive coverage, but um, we really want them to have it because we see the climate change in effect and that folks really do need the coverage, even if it doesn't feel like it right now. Um, but then as the storm is coming and you're in fear of, uh, you know, having flooding invade your home, you know, there's, if your local community has sandbagging options, uh, flood is a really tricky one because flash flooding can happen fast when you least expect it. Absolutely. We just saw that right now with uh, Hurricane Henri that uh, moved across the Southeast and impacted everyone from Mississippi through Tennessee, all the way through New England. Seven. Uh, Angel, yeah. we have reached the, the seventh and final question of our seven questions segment. And this one is gonna be a toughie because everyone after a hurricane has come through is trying to reach uh, their insurance uh, company. Um, what can, if there's one suggestion that you can give everyone is what is the one thing that they're going to need in order to make sure that their claims get processed quickly? What is the one piece of advice that you could give them? Uh, you know, it's a tough one because it varies from company to company. So um, at our company, we try to make it really simple to where, you know, sometimes phone lines, frankly, aren't even working in an impacted area, but a lot of times you can get a text message through. So, you know, if you want to text us or chat us, uh, but we also have an online electronic first notice of loss process where customer just goes through, clicks a few simple buttons, uh, you know, we'll identify know who they are they don't have to have their policy on hand any of those sorts of things and you know I think a lot more of the companies out there are trying to do these types of resources so that whatever method the customer can get through you know I would just I think my number one thing to you know all of the Floridians would be 
you know, don't feel like you, if you don't have a paper policy in your hand and a policy number, you know, that you shouldn't call in, like just whatever method you can reach to let the company know that you need them, you know, uh, make them adapt to whatever method you can communicate by and, and, you know, keep pushing. Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't uh, accept no for an answer. If you need to communicate by text or whatever, uh, you know, make them figure out how they can serve you that way. Because if that's the only means of communication you have, then, you know, you should do that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Angel, for all the information you've given us today. And we're hoping that the rest of uh, hurricane season will be nice and quiet. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phil. Next week on Whether or Not, a follower asked, could we live underwater? What if we build an underwater city? Can it be done? It's not easy. If you're planning to live underwater for extended periods, even in a structure, you need a life support system. That's not only the breathing gas, you have, need to have a gas storage. You need to have a system for filtering the gas, for recovering part of it, for scrubbing it. You need boosters, you need compressors, and you need to, to have a system where everything works perfectly. But there are plans in the works, and we will cover all that on our next edition, which drops the 14th of September. If you have a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, or have a comment, please send me an email at pfaro at wsvn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7weather, and of course, live on air at WSVN7. Thanks for joining us. Please tell your friends about us. We need all the listeners we can get. Until next time, I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell.